to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we are going to continue our series on answering tough questions with the question, does God ever change his mind? Does God ever change his mind? So let's take a poll. We did this last week with a different question. How many of you think that maybe sometimes God changes his mind? A couple of hands. How many say, no, he doesn't change his mind? A couple of hands. All right. So we're going to launch into this and take a look and see what it says. Um, what the Bible says about it. There is a doctrine called immutability, and uh, we don't get too deep in the theological aspects of doctrine that make it hard to understand, but the word immutability means that God does not change. Okay, that God does not change. The word mutate comes from the same root word. You know, to mutate means to change. Immutability means not changing. And so there is this theological doctrine of immutability that says God does not change. And we have a number of scriptures in the Bible that makes it clear that whether you believe God changes his mind or not, sometimes, maybe sometimes not, whatever, that in general and in very significant ways, God does not change. Okay? Um, James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? 1 Samuel 15.29. 1 Samuel 15.29. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Now, it's in, the thing that's interesting about this verse, 1 Samuel 15, 29, it says that God is not like a man that he would lie or have regret. He should, uh, not a man that he should have regret. But yet, by the time you get to the end of the chapter, it's or, or actually not before. It's about 14 verses before it. God speaks and he says, I just regret that I made Saul king. Makes it sound like a contradiction, doesn't it? We're going to talk about why that is. It's not a contradiction. Don't get worried. All right? But it's very interesting. You find that within about 14, 15 verses of each other. Malachi 3, 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. If you look at it in context, God's basically saying, it's a good thing I don't because otherwise I'd wipe you all out. That's a paraphrase, okay? But because God can be counted on, not just for judgment against sin, but because of love and grace and mercy, he doesn't just give up on people and just wipe them out. So this is not in the Bible. But there is a joke that says that this all proves that God must be primarily male because he does not change his mind. Some of you laughed. All right. Now, so we have these very clear passages that talk about, you know, God is not like man in his um, changeability and changing mind, saying one thing, then saying something else, or saying one thing, then doing something else, all that kind of stuff. But there are verses that make it sound like God changed his mind. And that's why we have this question. And that's why we probably have the difference of opinion of, no, God doesn't change his mind. Yes, God does change his mind, which probably those that would say he does, it's only in certain ways. It certainly is not in important ways. 
So let's look at a couple of verses where it seems to indicate that God did change his mind. Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry I have made him. Makes it sound like he changed his mind. He wanted to create man. He did create man. Now he's changed his mind. He wished he would never have done it. Hmm, is that what that means? We'll find out. Exodus 32, 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. That's the story of when Moses is up on the mountain and God's giving him the Ten Commandments and the other commandments. And um, down in the valley, the people are worshiping the golden calf. God gets all upset. says, Moses, go down there. In fact, God says, your people. <laughs> and Moses is probably like, God, these are your people. You know, but in the conversation, God says, let me just wipe them out and start a whole new nation with you. And Moses says, no, 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 you can't do that, God. You know, and he begins to intercede for the people. He says, what will the people in Egypt think? What will they say? You put forth all that efforts and all those plagues, everything to, re- to release them from their slavery, and then you destroy them in the wilderness? He says, that will not be good for your name and for your character and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and God decided not to destroy them. That's the verse we read. He relented from the disaster he'd spoken of bringing on his people. First Samuel 15, 11, I regret that I have made Saul king. For he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Second Samuel 24, 16, David did something he should not have done. We'll dig into what that was. It wasn't Bathsheba. It was a different thing. And God sent discipline. He sent judgment. And the angel came and uh, all kinds of chaos was breaking out. But in Second Samuel 24, 16, it says, In the midst of all this destruction and chaos, it says, When the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, The Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it's enough, now stay your hand. God had said he was going to do a certain amount of things as part of the punishment, the discipline of David and what he had done. It went part way and God says, let's just stop it right there. One more example, well known, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But then six verses later, in Jonah 3.10, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Okay, so those are some of the major examples. There may be a couple of others in the Bible, too. But first of all, let's talk about why is this important? First of all, let's let's, um, talk about human beings first. Do human beings ever change their mind? Like how many times a day? How many times an hour? But it's a good thing that we change, isn't it? Why is it good that human beings change? Because we're not perfect. Okay? Hopefully when we change, we're getting better and not worse. Any other thoughts about why it's good that human beings can change? Lynn. Okay, but we're not dealing with that right now. We're talking about human beings. Yes, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Why is it good that human beings can change or do change? Because they have a choice. That's right, correct mistakes. You know, 
You blow something. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't happen to any of us, but sometimes people say something and they weren't right. They have to take it back, you know. We, we have, you know, we have compassion on the people that do that, even though we don't ever do that. So, anyway. <laughs> All right. You know, the, the, the little joke I said before about, the, you know, it definitely must be God is more male or more like a male than a female because he doesn't change his mind. And you know that to say it's the, prerogative, it's the prerogative of a female to change her mind. Right? Okay. But we all changes our, change our minds. So human ability to change is a blessing. We all need to grow. Um, we're going to continue to grow. Hopefully we are going to continue to grow and get better. And when we make mistakes, make them right. And when we say something that's wrong, be willing to admit that. Mess up a relationship that we can fix it. So we need the ability to change. Why would it be a problem if just in general God changed his mind as often as human beings do? What did you say, Verissa? We would be dead. <laughs> Are you trying to say we would tick him off so bad he'd just zap us? Okay. Why else would it be bad if God changed or changed his mind as much as humans do? Yes, Vita. God is perfect. Okay, so if I could take what you said and reverse it, it would answer the question. You said, if because God doesn't change or whatever, he keeps his promises. If he did change like human beings, we don't know that we could trust him to keep his promises, do we? Think of any other reasons why it would be very bad if God changed like human beings do. Yeah, how would we know what we're supposed to do? If one day he says, well, this is something you shouldn't do, and then he changed his mind and said the next day, well, this is something you should do. You know, it would be very, very, very confusing. All right? I've got two things on your note sheet, and that's all I put on here because I don't want to spend too much time on this. But the first one is this. If God could change, then he would not be perfect and therefore not God. Because if God changes, he's either getting better or worse. If he's getting better, that means he's not perfect yet, so he's not God. If he's getting worse, he's not God. Okay? So at least in his essence, in his character, in who he is as God, he can't change because if he could, would that be just a sign that he wasn't God? The second one is what Vita had mentioned there. If God could change, then we could not have absolute trust in him. We couldn't be assured that he'd treat us fairly. We couldn't count on him to keep his promises. Um, we couldn't know whether he's going to change his mind about what he feels about us and how he's going to treat us, maybe even about our salvation. Okay. Yes, Lynn. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a slight difference between changing and changing your mind. Exactly. And that's part of the answer to the question. When I said, how many believe God can change his mind? And some said yes, some said no. Whereas some would say, well, he could change his mind, but he doesn't change. But others would say, well, that's the same thing. If he changes his mind, he's changing. But anyway, that's a good, that's leading right down the direction we're going. So go ahead. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very important point. That really is the key to the answer to this question. That changing your essence is different than changing your mind, although they're very similar. Okay, they're very similar. All right, and that's what we're going to dig into as we continue to answer this question. Yes, Vida. Mm -hmm. And that would be the motivation for why he might quote change his mind. Okay, 
You know, Lynn mentioned a word that I want to bring out here. It's not in my notes, and that's why since he mentioned it, I want to bring it. That there's a word in the Hebrew that's behind these words. To relent, to change your mind. Um, uh, it's translated often repent, especially in the King James Version. When we think of repent, we think of somebody who's done something morally wrong, and they have to admit that and repent from that. Back when the King James Version was written, it meant that, but it also meant some other things that nowadays it doesn't. So repent probably isn't the best word. That's why a lot of modern translations don't use the word repent in this context, because God doesn't have to repent of anything wrong. He's never done anything wrong. Okay, Repent basically just means to change. All right. And so, um, again, there's nothing wrong with that word being used. It's just in our context today, we wouldn't necessarily think of that. But that's why a lot of, a lot of translations say relent or, or something similar. Okay. So keep that in mind. But there are ways for sure in which God does not change. And this is significant because this is the reason we can have confidence in him, in our relationship with him. And one of the main reasons I want to deal with this question, because I'll be honest with you, the whole thing about, well, God said, well, he relented that he created Saul and even the human beings. And so he sent the flood and all that. You know, those are important issues. But what's much more important is, can we really count on God being God? Okay, so what are some ways in which God does not change? Number one, God's life or essence does not change. God's life, I'm sorry, not essence, existence. God's life or existence does not change. He is God. He has always been God. He always will be God. He's always existed as God. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 102, verses 26 and 27, right before that, the psalmist, I'm not sure if this is one of the ones that David wrote or not, they're talking about the heavens and the earth and how God created it, and then it gets to verse 26, it says, they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Now, I've got several other verses on there. It's just like last week, you got a lot of verses on there we're not going to read, but they're there in case you want to study this in more depth. Psalm 93, 2, Isaiah 48, 12, Jeremiah 10, 10, Romans 1, 23, and 1 Timothy 6, 16 all express pretty much the same thing, that God is God, always has been, always will be. His life or his existence does not change. He doesn't grow older. He doesn't gain or lose any of his abilities or power because that goes back to the thing. If That means he's changing. If he's getting stronger, then that means he wasn't ultimately strong, so he wasn't perfect. If he's less strong because he's gotten older, then he's not perfect, so he's not God. Um, he doesn't get wiser. He doesn't get less wise. He can't change for the better because he's already perfect. And since he's perfect, he can't change for the worse. All right? Now, the second one is really, really key. God's character does not change. God's character does not change. We read this earlier, James 1.17, Every good and every perfect gift is from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Humans, human characters can change. In fact, as we talked about earlier, we need to. <laughs> we need to get better. Unfortunately, it doesn't always go in the good direction. You know, sometimes people, you may know them and you see them or maybe you've known them all along and you see them deteriorate in their character 
and in their personality. Um, but God's character never changes. Now, we said that humans change, hopefully for the better, but sometimes for the worse. But we know that God himself became human in Jesus. In Jesus' humanity, did he change? Yes? Huh? What was, the, what was behind your yes answer? Well, he changed to where he came from being God himself to also being um, man. And I, I bring that out because we can't limit God so much because otherwise we deny that God became flesh. There was a change there at a point in history. Right, God had always existed, yeah. But God, as a spiritual being, there was a change when he took on flesh. Okay? But he was still 100% God and 100% man. So in all the ways that are foundational that we've already talked about, character and some other things we're going to talk about, even Jesus as a human being did not change. In fact, in Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right? All right. Uh, number three, God's truth does not change. God's truth does not change. What God communicates, what he says um, to be true, it does not change. We've already talked about that. That does change for us as human beings. We can say all kinds of things that we think are true, then find out later that, oh, that wasn't true. You know? Um, people can say things that they already know aren't true, and they will say it anyway, and then later say something else if it benefits them. But God always communicates truth, and whatever truth God communicates does not change. Okay? Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Psalm 119, verse 89, and then verses 151 to 52. Um, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. John 10, 35 is a quote of Jesus. He says, Scripture cannot be broken. Basically, what he says is that what God has communicated in his word is true and will be fully and completely fulfilled. You know, when Jesus um, was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I didn't come to to break the law or do away with the law. He says, it will be... the per- Basically what he says, to uh, paraphrase it, is the purpose for which God gave all of his revelation relation will be fully fulfilled 100%. Why is it so? Hmm? Why is it so? Why is it so? Because God can't lie. God doesn't lie. And he only tells the truth. That's right. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Jesus himself. Yeah. God stands behind everything that he has communicated to his people. Now, number four actually is an outgrowth of that. It's kind of an expansion of this. And this is where it really gets down to where the rubber meets the road for us. Um, God's purposes and promises do not change. God's purposes and promises do not change. Psalm 33.11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Uh, Numbers 23.19, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Isaiah 46, verses 9 to 11, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. 
declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Okay? God never has to change his plan. Okay? Vida. I'm not sure if I totally understand the question you're asking. God has a plan and purpose for all kinds of things, and his ultimate plan and his ultimate purpose can never be thwarted. However, on an individual level, we can thwart God's purposes for us. You know, because, I mean, the, the most basic example is in, in Peter where it says that God doesn't want anybody to be to perish. But there are people that are perishing, and they will perish. It's not God's plan, not what he wants. But it is very important to keep very clear that God has his ultimate plans and purposes that no one can thwart. Nobody can't keep Jesus from coming back. Nobody can keep, can't keep um, Jesus from establishing God's kingdom. Okay? Um, so, were you going to add to that? or? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully when we change our mind, it's because we're doing it to align up with what God's plans and purposes are. But it can go the other way, too. You see it all through Scripture. People rebelling against God, rebelling against His plan and purposes, rebelling against His love. That's what's so sad. Did I see another hand? Oh, I saw Jose. Yeah. Okay, so I, I feel like he doesn't his and that's a good point we're going to get to in just a little bit. That, you know, we reap consequences of choices we make. But whichever way it goes, good or bad, it's still within God's plan, purpose, and what he desert, determined, but our choice changes the consequence we're going to experience. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. All right? So that brings us to this big question, then. How do we explain these passages where God seems to have changed his mind? Okay? And there's a couple different categories here. But the general principle is this, and it's on your note sheet. God does not change... But he does respond to things said and done by humans. God does not change, but he does respond to things said and done by humans. And this is one way in which we as human beings are like God. Okay? The things that we say and do are basically conditioned on what other people say and do to us. I mean, if we have children and we love our children, right? And if they're well-behaved and helpful and they do what we ask them to do, we're going to act one way. If they misbehave and um, totally ignore what we've asked them to do, we're going to do something totally different, right? Does that mean that we and ourselves have changed? No. I mean, it goes back to what, what Jose says. You know, uh, God has his thing and God has his plans and his purposes and how we respond to that determines the consequences we get, and the same thing is true with our children. You know, it's true of any relationship. Our relationship with our spouse, if we have a spouse. You know, our response to them is to a degree dependent on how they're responding to us. But it doesn't necessarily mean that our character has changed, that who we are, that um, our standards have changed. Um, it's true of the people that we deal with every day, whether they're people we know well, like at work or wherever, or... Um, just someone we come across. We respond based on how they respond to us, but the way we respond is probably very consistent with our character and who we are. Lynn? 
Yeah, it depends on, I think, the way a person takes that. You know, you ask the question, I'll repeat it for the recording. You know, the whole idea of regretting does not necessarily indicate a change, okay? But yet it could indicate a change of mind because in God's case, since he always knows the ends from the beginning and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Um, we're going to deal with that when, when we get to it. But for God to create the world and the people and then say, well, I regret that I did, it could seem to indicate that he changed the mind about what he did. You see what I'm saying? Even though he didn't change. That's all I'm saying. But there is a different, different perspective to that word regret. And we're going to get to that. That's a very good question, though. Okay. So one of the biggest things that... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Cheryl. Okay. <laughs> I'm kind of laughing. And the reason why is usually the word frustration. And I preached a message recently about godly frustration. And I had a good conversation with somebody who says, I don't think God gets frustrated. And I said, well, the way I'm looking at it is this way. We're not going to dig deeply into that. Okay. But there is the sense that God is responding to the way people, and they are not responding the way he wants them to. And anger is definitely something that's used to describe of God because he's angry at sin. I'm so glad in the full teaching of Scripture we find that it's not so much that God is angry at the sinners, but at the sin. Yeah. But because of the sinners, it requires judgment or punishment or discipline. Okay? All right. So one of the biggest reasons uh, that we see these situations where it looks like God may have changed his mind is, number one, God's warnings and promises are conditional in nature. God's warnings and promises are conditional in nature, and not always are they stated that way. A really good example of this is the situation with Jonah. When God sent Jonah to bring the message to the Ninevites, in 40 days, your town will be overturned, or your, yeah, your city will be overturned. But then it said that they repented, and so God did not do that. It doesn't say that God said, unless you repent. But why else would you send a warning? Why not just zap them if you're already planning on doing it, right? Why give them 40 days? Because of a condition. And if that was all by itself, we'd have to say, well, maybe that is, maybe it isn't. But we find the principle in God's word in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18, verses 7 to 10, God says... If at any time, so we're talking about all the history of mankind. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, and I'd say there's a lot of ways this applies to us personally too, but if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up and break it down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I've spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do for it or do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build it and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. So basically what God is saying is, I've already decided this is what I want to have happen, and you can listen to me, and if you go along with that, here's this consequence. But if you decide to ignore it and go the other way, here's this consequence. It goes back to what Jose was talking about earlier. Okay? And so... That's exactly what happened with the situation with Jonah. All right, Jonah went and brought the message. The people repented, and God said, yay, they repented. I'm going to forgive them, basically. All right? Um, Jeremiah 26, verses 2 to 6, we're not going to read that now, but it's very, very similar. God says, if these people do this, then I'm going to do that. But if they do this, then I'm going to do that. So God doesn't change his mind, 
But what happens is different based on what people do. Okay? All right. So, God's warnings and promises are conditional in nature. Uh, the second one, and this is, this, um, this kind of builds on that. God responds to changing people and circumstances. There's people and circumstances that change. He responds to them consistently with his nature and purpose. What I mean by that is that God at times has to change his response or require him to change his character, which he will not change. Okay, now that may sound a little confusing, but I got two examples here, okay? This builds on what we just talked about. On your note sheet, the first bullet point, if God would not respond to repentance with forgiveness, his character traits of love and mercy would be changed. You know, if God said, hey, I'm going to destroy you, the people repented, and he says, I'm going to destroy you anyway. God is no longer merciful or gracious or loving. He has changed. He's not going to change. He's going to remain true to his character. Okay? And the opposite is true too. And the second bullet point, if God would not respond to, respond to sin and disobedience with judgment and discipline, then his character traits of justice and fairness would be changed. In other words, if God let some people get away with stuff just because he decided to, then he's not living up to his character of justice and fairness. All right? That's why Joel can say something like this in Joel chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. He says, rend your hearts and not your garments. What he's talking about is when people would, would mourn or go into a time of repentance or seeking God, they would show it physically by ripping their garments. Okay, that was just a sign of mourning. It was a sign of repentance. Like, God, inside, I'm, I'm dealing with all this stuff, and I'm showing it on the outside. Okay? But he says, listen, don't, wor- don't rend your garments. Rend your hearts. Don't put on a show. Okay? Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing? Basically, he's saying, listen, right now you're under God's judgment because of your sin, because of your rebellion, all that kind of stuff. All right? Change on the inside. Truly repent and call out to God. Because God does not change from his character of grace and mercy. All right? He mentions God's gracious and merciful and slow to anger. And if you will do that, it changes the response you're going to get. Does that mean that God changed? No. Because God had determined sin's going to be punished, but yet repentance is going to be rewarded with forgiveness. Okay? I, I came across this illustration one time. It's sort of like you got a really, really windy day, all right? And if you're walking into the wind and you got this real strong force opposing you, but then you turn around and go the other way, it's totally different. But the wind hasn't changed, all right? So that wind is like God's character, his plans, his purposes, his promises. The thing is, is which way are we going to go? Are we going to walk contrary to that and experience that opposition? All right? Or are we going to walk along according to God's plans and purposes? Totally different experience for us, but God doesn't change. Huh? It's consistent. Yeah. Now, this third one is what Lynn brought up earlier. The word for regret can also have the meaning of feeling sorrow. Okay? As I said, the word in the Hebrew, I don't remember what it is. It's, we don't need to know it anyway. 
Okay, it can mean to repent of evil. It can mean to change your mind. It can mean a number of things depending on the context. But one of the contexts is that it can just mean that you feel sorrow. You mourn. You grieve because of something that's happened. That's the way it's used in the two things that we brought up um, about God looking down on the earth when it's gone crazy. And he says, I regret or relent that I created mankind. It's basically saying, I mean, God knew it was going to happen ahead of time. But he looks at it and says, man, I just grieve over that. I mourn over that. And the same thing is true when he said that he relented or whatever word you want to use, whatever translation your Bible you use that uses that uh, how it translates it. It basically means that he's he's so sorry that Saul went that direction. Okay? He's so sorry that God uh, that Saul went that direction. And then the fourth one is something that we need to really cling to. God responds to people's prayer. God can choose to change what he's going to do based on people's prayer. I've said this so many times. God doesn't need his people to pray. God can do whatever he wants, but he so created this world and his relationship with human beings that our prayers make a difference. Lynn gave an example earlier, King Hezekiah. For various reasons, God sent Isaiah the prophet to him and said, hey, listen, you've only got a short period of time to live. And he's just, I'm just warning you ahead of time. And Hezekiah just cried out to God and said, God, you know, because Hezekiah was actually one of the good kings. You would expect that to be true of one of the bad kings. And so I don't know why God said, hey, I'm just going to limit your time. Maybe just to put this illustration in scripture, how powerful prayer can be. Okay. But Isaiah went and told him and Hezekiah says, you know, I've tried to serve you. I've tried to do the right thing. Whatever. Can you please let me live? And, and Isaiah wasn't even all the way home yet. And God says, go back and tell Hezekiah that I'm going to let him live. I think it was another 15 years, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. Yes, Carlton. <laughs> could be. Could be. Yeah. Another example is the illustration I gave earlier when Moses is up on the mountain with, with God and the Israelites are worshiping the golden calf and God says, I just, I, let's just wipe them out, start another nation. And Moses prayed for the people. And that's where God it says that God says, okay, I won't destroy him. Moses' prayers made a difference. Yeah. Well, I thought you were getting ready to say something there, John. All right. So that shows the importance of prayer. Okay. So what I have down here for the conclusion of the application, all right, because God does not change. All right. These are some things that we can cling to. Number one, we can know that our prayers make a difference. You know, whether God changes his mind, doesn't matter how it looks, but that's not near as important as the basic truths that we have that we can build a relationship with God on and be involved in ministry with God. And the first one is we can know that our prayers make a difference. All right. The second one is we should be warned that disobedience brings discipline. You know, it may not seem like it sometimes because we get away with it for a while, but there will be consequences if we choose to disobey God, it will bring discipline because God does not change. He is a fair and just God, besides being loving and merciful. All right. And number three, very similar, but we should be warned that sin brings judgment. The reason I put those two in there, I think of sin more as direct and outright 
rebellion against God, especially done by anybody, whether they're a believer or not, whereas disobedience is, I'm trying to live for God, but I choose not to do what he wants me to do, and so God disciplines us, and that whole topic is dealt with in Hebrews chapter 12. It says God's too good of a father not to discipline his kids. He loves them too much. Okay. Number four is we can be assured that repentance brings forgiveness. Here's a big deal. If God changed his mind, how can we be sure that he forgave us if we came and said, God, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. How can we quote 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if God could change his mind? But God keeps his word. So we know when we repent and confess our sins, God forgives them. Okay? Number five, we can trust God to keep his promises. It isn't like God gives this promise and he says, if I feel like it, if I'm having a good day. It's like, no, he keeps his promises. And that's a whole other topic. Sometimes we claim promises that God never made to us. Okay? Um, a great majority of the promises in God's word apply to all of his people, but some of them are specific to individuals, to nations, to Israel, whatever. That's why I always tell you, if you're going to claim a promise of God, make sure you understand it in context and make sure it applies to you. And there's a ton of them that do, all right? And then number six, we can trust God to always treat us with fairness, love, and mercy. We don't serve some kind of ambivalent God, um, which I don't know how much any of you might have done some studying as you came up through school and stuff about all the gods and goddesses of the Romans and the Greeks and the Egyptians and all that. Those gods and goddesses were much more like human beings with superpowers, you know, they'd be very fickle, they'd get angry, they'd act one way one day and then totally change. And that was the thing that was so totally different about our God. That's not the way he is. He's consistent. He does not change in his character, in his essence, in his truth, okay, in the way he treats his people. I don't know if any of you ever heard of this guy named A.W. Tozer, Great author, okay? And he wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, which is basically about God's character. And he says this. He says, What peace it brings to the Christian's heart to realize that our Heavenly Father never differs from himself. In coming to him at any time, we need not wonder whether we shall find him in a receptive mood. He's always receptive to misery and need as well as to love and faith. He does not keep office hours nor set aside periods when he will see no one. Neither does he change his mind about anything. Today, this moment, he feels toward his creatures, toward babies, toward the sick, the fallen, the sinful, exactly as he did when he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for mankind. So does God change his mind? Well, he does respond to circumstances and people and changing situations in a way that may look like it, but he's always consistent and he never changes in relationship to who he is, his existence, his character, his faithfulness, his truth, his promise-keeping ability. And we can take that to the bank. Anybody have a final comment or thought before we wrap this all up? All right. Yes, Vita. Oh, I thought you Does God need help? God needs absolutely no help, but he uses it. That's the thing. God doesn't need us, but he uses us. That's the whole thing about prayer. God doesn't need us to pray, but he works in and through our prayer. That's what's so amazing about our relationship with God. God didn't even need to create us. God did not have some need in his being. It's like, i got to create some people or I'm just going to do without. God didn't need us, but he wanted us. 
Okay? He's from. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And a very another very important part of this, and I don't want it to be too heavy, and that is that even though God doesn't need us, but he wants to use us, he expects us to be accountable. You know, he told Ezekiel, he says, if I give you a word and you don't give it, and they're judged, they're judged because of their sin, but I'm going to hold you accountable too. Okay? But if you give the word and they don't repent or whatever, that's okay. You're off the hook because you did what I told you to do. So it's a blessing. It's wonderful that God wants us in relationship and he wants to use us, but it's also a responsibility. We need to do our part. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had together to look at your word today. Thank you, Lord, that we can count on you. We can count on your word. We can count on your promises. We can count on you not to change. Lord, that you are a fair and just God, but also one that is full of love and mercy and grace when your people call out to you. Father, thank you that even though you don't need us, you want us. Even though you don't have to wait for prayers, you allow us to work with you through praying and also through doing your work. Lord, thank you for that privilege. But Lord, I pray that we take that responsibility seriously too, so that we would listen for your voice and follow your leading and do what you call us to do. God, we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 